Okay, <clears throat> how's my sound? This is my microphone at home, by the way. It's a Yeti Blue, and it's got a furry thing on it. Yeah, it's got a smiley face. This this thing, I gotta I gotta show you this. Uh, hold on a sec. Um, I I have no idea what the material is on this mic, although it feels really a lot like real fur. I I I just I cannot see how they made this out of artificial materials. It's so like. <laughs> The hairs are so fine, it, it can't be artificial. Well, let me show you what it looked like on Amazon, like what the description was. I'm just looking through my uh, my past orders. Description says, dead cat fur. So like, I'm wondering, is this real fur? It literally says in the description, dead cat fur. And I, I did a review on it. Interesting. Let's see if my review shows up here. Works fine, well, what is it made of? Um, it, it no reply like back. Huh? An actual animal fur, which has me coming back here to figure out what what that what's actually made of. I'm not against fur or anything. I mean, tremendous value, but it's real. <laughs> the actual product name says dead cat fur. Hi, you're listening to the Just Some Musings podcast with Justin Lee and Marcus Muse. We're two advisors with CG Wealth Management in Alberta to finish off our weeks connecting over Zoom to discuss the week that was, also the year. What's on the agenda this week, Marcus? Well, uh, as you said, this is the year that was. Um, this is hopefully not yet another annual review of the markets, blah, blah, blah. But um, sort of talking about some of the very unique things about 2022 and uh, what 2023 might hold. So uh, we do talk about a few things. I have a couple of links, which I'll share in uh, the show notes. Uh, show notes website is now up uh, where you can catch our older episodes as well as any links regarding uh, pertaining to those at www.muhs.ca slash podcast. And uh, with that, let's take it away. Okay. Uh, yeah. So welcome, Justin. This is probably our last show of the year. It's December 22nd, and we'll probably get this out next week, sort of between Christmas and New Year's. So what's like, what's top of your mind right now, Justin? Well, it's, it's, it's three days before Christmas, and I typically don't listen to Christmas music uh, until December 1st, just around the same time when, you know, one of the radio stations uh, starts going 24-7 Christmas. And um, perhaps one of the most famous or the, the last great Christmas song is uh, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. Oh. <laughs> and I, yeah, but it, it's, it's pervasive. And, you know, the estimates vary and there's different ways that royal, music royalties get calculated. But for all intents and purposes, it's been estimated that Mariah Carey makes a million dollars every year net because of that one song. Just that one song, wow every single year for however many years and i mean that's a million dollars in her pocket right i mean that's good there's other uh, there was another uh, uh songwriter there's the um the publishing royalties as well and, and things of that nature but if you had something and you imagine that next year next year and 10 years from now we're still going to be listening to that song how much would you pay for the rights for all i want for christmas by mariah carey to get the perpetual royalty rights for that song. What do you, what would you pay for that? Assuming you get about a million dollars a year uh, today for it. 
Okay, what would it, what would it be worth? Okay, so yeah, I mean, yeah, like, valuation and all that as well. Let's right? give it a so. ten to one price earnings ratio conservatively. It's worth uh, ten million dollars. So and yeah, I mean, ten, if you're thinking that okay. you know it's pretty much it's going to be a perpetual song. I don't think it's ever going to go out of style. Yeah, you'd probably give it a higher price earnings, right? I think I would pay a premium for sure. Yeah, twenty times twenty million dollars, maybe twenty. Like, or if you know throughout my entire life like uh, for the rest of my life if i think i'm going to be listening to that song i don't know if i would be paying 40 times earnings right uh but you know the market in the markets typically trade around like a mid-teens sort of uh pe ratio price to uh, price to earnings ratio so even at 15 times you know we're looking at 15 million dollars probably there's uh there's people willing to pay more uh, it's inflation adjusted too probably i'm guessing because i mean if it's making a million a year now, you know, down the road, maybe it'll be making 2 million a year. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah we're, we're, so anyway, just maybe think about just business valuations and, and whatnot. Um, a lot of talk in the market about earnings, uh, potential uh, earnings recession. Uh, but yeah, that, that nice round number of approximately a million dollars a year that she gets every year for that. And that's just from the streaming. Like, you know, there's other things that come along with it too. Right. Uh, but uh, it just, it, it's, it's, it's the time of the year. We're probably all going to hear it a, a few more times before the end of this week. Uh, and, and so when you do think about it, just know that Mariah Carey's making a million dollars every year for that song. Speaking of which the, uh, the tune at the beginning of our podcast, I believe it's royalty free. It's just right off of the, uh, the I think that's why we chose it. <laughs> it's, it's literally the first thing on the list when you're, when you're making a podcast on anchor. Um, we, we did listen to all the others, but this one sounded the best. Uh, moving on from there, um, you know, really uh, this year, uh, you know, I this this time of year we get so many um, podcast webinars, presentations of, of some sort, market projections or year in review, and uh, I don't think we want to do another one of those. But really, this year is such a such a unique year. It's worth talking about. Just having a little dialogue about what happened. Uh, what happened? It is the 22nd of December. The markets just closed a little bit ago. I think we're down 20% for the year to date at this point. So the year to date is negative 19.8%, not including any dividends on the S&P 500. Um, this, if that is how the year ends, that is the worst year since 2008. And, uh, you know, you're thinking we did have some bad periods here, 2011, 2018, but uh, none of those ended up being really bad calendar years. Uh, we ended up, um, what was it, in 2000, 2018 was negative 4.4, and 2011, we actually ended up a little bit positive. So, uh, so that's a change, and obviously, you know, whenever we go into investing, we know that the, the odds are usually about one in three that a year ends up negative. Uh, those odds were really tested over the last decade because we had a lot of positive years, lots of positive years in a row, where really mm -hmm. the worst year from 2008 to 2021 was um was 20 uh, 2018's negative 4.4 so we're due and 20 percent is a pretty average um average bear market right i mean it's not even bear average it's low average it's barely bear market territory <laughs> the average of a bear market is usually a 30 percent drawdown but that usually mm -hmm. happens within a year not not for the mm -hmm. year mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think you know hearing that and knowing that it's like usually one in three years or you know a, a sort of a one in a decade um, you know, situation where we have a calendar year drawdown, um, such as what we've had, it might be 
a little bit of cold comfort, uh, at least, you know, from some of the conversations anecdotally that I've had with some folks um, based on when they entered or started the market. Um, because yeah, it, it, sometimes you just start on a wrong, on the wrong foot or on the wrong time. But I think those other eight or nine years or those two out of the three years, right? More, you know, make up for, for the losses uh, or, or the, um, the down years that, that we're, we're like the down year that we're currently experiencing. And I think that's one of the things to recognize is that three years from now or within three years from now, or certainly within a decade from now, uh, chances are quite high that we're going to experience something like this again. And so getting that scar tissue, getting that, um, that experience, um, I think is, if anything, has been a, a silver lining to take out of the year as well. Uh, and to see and get an, a, a little bit of an understanding for everybody as to how we reacted to it, how we adjusted to it, how we felt about it. Uh, because yes, it's a guarantee that if we're going to be investing for the long term over the next number of decades, this will be happening again. We don't know when, but it's probably going to be, it will be happening again. So um, it's been a good learning experience in my sense, you know, and, and, and I think I've heard that from, from clients as well, uh, that it, it's just been a good year um, for learning, for, if not for, for profit, but certainly for learning. Um, I have this yeah. conversation all the time with clients, especially younger clients. Um, yeah, so younger much, ones, especially. Yeah, yes. so much of our, our perceptions of the market come down to when did we start investing or when did we start investing, you know, serious dollars? People yep. like Justin and I were both, um, yeah, we're like 1981, 1980-ish. Uh, we, you know, we, were, we, we turned adults right around the time of uh, the, um, the, the tech bubble bursting, but we didn't tech have any bubble. money yep. right then, right? Like, did you nope. invest, did you have any must money That's thousand? I, I, I was, I was uh, probably negative uh, value because my student loans at the time. Right? Exactly, so, yeah. So, yeah. Probably 10 years later is when you started to seriously put money into your RSP and have an amount of money saved away that, you know, it looked scary when it went down, when it went down 20, 30, 50% in 2008. So maybe 2008 was the first time either of us experienced a really nasty market. And maybe not even then, maybe you were still more concentrated on buying a house, building a family and so forth. So um, yeah. a lot of people in that millennial age group, which is everyone sort of younger than us, um, they've never experienced anything like this. The, the, for them, the bear market was 2011 or 2018. Uh, a little bit of shakiness in 15, 16, the really, really short breakdown in 2020, where, and, and one thing that was learned from those experiences was the markets went down sharply, but then bounced back right away. So you had to buy buy the, the freaking dip uh, to use the less... Uh, vulgar term for BTFD. <laughs> B BTFD. Um, buy the fabulous dip, um, <laughs> the, uh, which always worked. And this year, the other thing that always worked was if you were less willing to take risk in the markets, having some bonds in your, in your portfolio, um, you know, having a balanced portfolio, 60-40. Well, I see so many people there, you know, 30, 40 years from retirement, but they, they put their money into a robo-advisor and they go through the questionnaire, the robo-advisor spits mm -hmm. out you're a balanced mm -hmm. investor. I mean, yep. someone that age has no business being, you know, 40% in bonds, but if it gave them comfort, in the past, it worked really well. You gave up some upside mm -hmm. potential for much less volatility. And then this year, mm -hmm. um, this year that did not work. Uh, it did not work for younger clients looking to avoid extreme volatility. It did not work for older clients who were also, you know, trying to manage, uh, you know, protect their assets. Uh, bonds had a an extremely bad year. 
Um, and that's, that's right. I'm, the long duration, the long duration ones were over 20% yeah. down just as much as the market, you know, the short term ones were still down as well, but as a whole, um, if you matched your liability, you know, as a younger person for 20 or 30 years, yes, that, that, that bond exposure, that long duration bond exposure, uh, was crushed just as much as the market. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that ballast, that counterbalance effect, uh, did not happen this year on, on the fixed income side. And that's what makes this year really exceptional. It's not just that it was a minus 20% year on the stock markets. That is pretty run of the mill. This is the other thing I tell every young investor. If you're investing for the next 30, 40 years, even if you're some a bit older, you're still probably investing for the next 20, 30 years. You will guaranteed experience many bear markets. You know, every mm -hmm. decade will have probably two of them. One really nasty one <clears throat> or two less um, if you're investing for 40 years, you know, multiply that by two or four by two, you know, you're going to get a fair bit of this. But the, the experience we had in 2022 was not only a, a drawdown in stocks that went as much as 25-ish percent on the S&P 500, more than 30% on the NASDAQ, but also a massive drawdown, unlike any we've seen in our lifetimes on bonds. Uh, bonds now, if you, if you understand how bonds work, they uh, they go down in value as interest rates rise, kind of an inverse. And mm -hmm. we saw a massive rise in interest rates this uh, this year, an unex somewhat unexpected. It was unexpected how fast they would do it, and that caused this massive drawdown in bonds. You know, your typical bond fund, even like the not the long duration ones, they the typical one was down ten to fifteen percent, and bond investors usually don't expect that. And not at all. That places 2022, if you put it on a uh, matrix of stock returns on one matrix and bond returns on the other, uh, there's probably only four other years in the last hundred that were as bad where you where they were in the same quadrant of a negative bottom left, bottom left, you know, negative 10 to 20 percent bonds mm -hmm. and negative 10 to 20 percent stocks. Uh, yep. Very few years that happen that way, because usually if bonds, if stocks do poorly, bonds do the opposite. But not a lot of places to hide, I think, is the end of it, right? Irrespective, right? Oh, yeah. The 20% is sort of an average number. The Canadian market is down a little bit less than the United States market, mainly because due to the strength of the energy sector. Uh, but then if you are looking at more on the uh, international side, or perhaps looking on the uh, growth tech um, fang stocks, or even any of the, the growth area spaces, uh, then you know twenty percent would be uh, would actually be a, a not a bad number, right? Because some of those areas were down, you know, thirty, forty plus, right? So, um, but yeah, as a whole, there was very little, very few places to hide if you were um, uh, diversified or spread across uh, multiple. Uh, uh, you had a, a, a wide allocation. Yeah, there there really was no alternative, as they say. Mm -hmm. So, what perpetrated all this was uh, inflation. And that's another thing we, uh, you know, in our age and, and most people even a little bit older, never really experienced bad inflation. It's been pretty well in check for many years. You know, give the credit to the central banks, the Bank of Canada, the Federal Reserve. They, they managed to keep inflation within their, their band. And that's an easy thing to do if nothing crazy happens like COVID. You know, if nothing mm -hmm. crazy is happening, it's easy to keep it within that band. You know, raise interest rates if inflation ever gets a bit too high, drop them if it gets too low. For most of the last decade, inflation was too low, and we had interest rates rock bottom to try to stimulate a bit of inflation. But this year, we had it soar in uh, in the first half of the year to uh, almost double digits, I think. I mean, some countries saw double digits, some European countries, uh, Canada and the US, we saw six, seven, maybe 8%, I forget. 
and and that really uh yeah that really perpetrated this uh this big move by the central banks and i think that the the general understanding or at least what's being messaged right now is that uh they are continuing on that path and they and i think they're probably likely to uh you know make sure that they their targets uh are met and in order to doing so they they aren't changing they aren't deviating uh, which causes for a lot of head picks out in the in the in the financial sector in the investment world because um, there's a difference between often sometimes with with expectations from the investment world and then also uh, what is actually being communicated from the policymakers right whether those actually are, are are truly different or you know whether the you know the policymakers really do what they say they're going to do is, is another matter but at least they're they're saying that they're going to continue on with the rate hikes or elevated interest rates and they have to um, say so that. Maybe, yeah, on inflation, what I wanted to add though too, like there is a lot of um, there are a lot of smart people out there, you know, making the point that inflation has been killed, jobs completed, uh, you know, mission mission accomplished. <laughs> mission accomplished. I haven't and seen the that is, yet. <laughs> maybe that would be way too uh, presumptive, I guess. If uh, if um, you know, Chair, Chairman uh, Jay Powell, you know, stood on an aircraft carrier with a big banner behind him, mission accomplished. Uh, then we get higher inflation again next year. It flares up, but I just I don't see any catalyst as as to it flaring up. I mean, unless suddenly uh, there's this massive demand for things again next year, and oil prices go up, commodity prices go up. But I did I did read something interesting online from uh, Barry Ritholtz, who uh, uh, was talking about. Um, I'll, I'll add a link to this in the show notes. Uh, talking about how how the rates have already started coming down, and the Fed is always behind the eight ball. Uh, they're late to react. Um, I, I replied to it with my own little math. I was looking at the month-to-month figures. He was pointing out that the annual figures, the year-over-year figure, was already coming down since earlier back well, back in the summer. If you look at the month-over-month figures, and I, I did the math, the month-over-month, the last inflation report in the States was 7.11% year-over-year. That's November 2021 to November 2022. If you look at month over month and look at just the second half of this year, starting in July, July, August, September, October, November, five months, it actually works out when you annualize it to just under two and a half percent. So the the, the two and a half that we've hit the target, right? The very short-term data is showing that inflation has been beaten. I, I say with one caveat that the short-term data comes with a lot of fluctuations. It's not perfect, but if you were going to rely on it, always gets adjusted. Yeah. Yeah. Inflation was a thing in the beginning half of this year. And in the second half of this year, it is, it's not a thing anymore. Um, that does not mean that prices are going to come back down to where they were in 2021. It means they're, they've stopped going up. So the job that the federal, the, the federal mm-hmm. reserve and the bank of Canada have done, have, have gone out to do that job has been done in Canada. We just had an inflation print uh, earlier this week, I think, was it? um for november and it also came in reasonably low it's been a bit higher in canada the last couple of months yep. but first half of the year i'm um, just looking up these numbers here first half of the year if you look at those numbers from uh, january to june they annualized to about 10 percent. we never heard 10 percent earlier this year in terms of inflation because they were ta- they were looking at you know when inflation was at its highest which was in uh, the end of june uh, they looked at the June 2021 to June 2022 inflation, and that was seven point whatever. But if you only look at those really high numbers we had in spring of this year, that annualized to 10%. If you look at just what has happened since then, it annualizes to 
No, I mean, inflation sort of been the talk of the entire year, right? Um, all the impacts of it, um, whether it's day-to-day spending, going to the grocery store, the price of the gasoline, or um, because of it, uh, the, in the uh, changes in the interest rates uh, ac- across the world, particularly in Canada and the United States. So, I mean, it, it has been topical for the last 12 months. It will likely continue to be topical for the uh, first, you know, for the next year, this upcoming year. Uh, but perhaps that uh, that the topic will slightly change from increasing or, you know, uh, potentially unsustainable increases in or high interest rate, uh, uh, sorry, uh, inflation numbers to then potentially, to your point, maybe actually lower uh month over month, year over year uh, inflation numbers. So maybe we're still gonna be talking about inflation, no doubt, but it, it may be with a slightly different uh, tune. So uh, let's talk about what 2023 holds. Um, I first of all, wanted to make a point, you know, uh, this has been my, uh, this has been um, something that's been just mind numbing my entire career is the, the fact that people make predictions to begin with. Um, I, I, and I remember there was a time when I thought that these people, you know, that that this was a smart thing to do, basically make these predictions. I was, you know, early in my bank days, and a client says, "What do you think the uh, the S and P is going to finish at at the end of the year?" And I actually came up with a number stupidly, which, of course, that was two thousand eight. It didn't come true. Uh, <laughs> but the thing about predictions is, you got all these smart people. They all they ever do is they're really just sort of exemplifying uh, recency bias. The current situation is, and, and thus, we believe this is what the markets are going to be 365 days from now. Uh, last year, uh, I'll share this article as well in our show notes, a uh, bunch, uh, bunch of smart people came up with predictions. And keep in mind, last year, a year ago, the environment was, we were at all-time market highs. Everything was positive going into 2022. You know, COVID was, was you know, gradually going away or getting less bad. And so um, you saw predictions of 4,500, 4,600, 5,000 on the S&P 500. Not a single one of them came true and not a single person predicted 3,800, which is where we're at today. And then you look at what people are predicting today. Now they're basically projecting the current pessimistic mood. And uh, people are saying, you know, on the, on the high side, 3,900 or 4,000 for 2023. And on the low side, even in the low 3,000s. So what is the bloody point is what I ask about all these predictions. Um, <laughs> what is your opinion on that, Justin? Anything. You, like you know, the numbers are the numbers, of course, right? And, and yes, you can say a broken clock is right two times a day or you flip a coin a number of times and there's a survivorship bias there as well. But perhaps what I'll look at it toward is that just the whole process of maybe not making a prediction, but forecasting and whatnot, is to understand thought process, to understand um, the, the material and the influences that the prognosticator or the pundit has, and then kind of get, you know, use that in conjunction with other, you know, other predictions and forecasts and, and pundits, and, and then you know, get an idea what that range might be, and then also you know, help sort of give an idea as to what you align to, and also perhaps more importantly, what you don't. And if you don't, why don't you? And then is it worth at least understanding why they're thinking of something that you don't necessarily agree with, right? So perhaps I think more about process uh, as opposed to the actual number. You know, are they guess, how are they guesstimating the earnings and what are they guesstimating on the multiple, right? To get that final stock market, you know, year end number to 3,800. Yeah, you're right. It's a mugs game, right? But um, I, I do like kind of the understanding, at least an idea of the thought process. Who might be overly, 
um, uh, positive or optimistic, who might be overly pessimistic. The truth is probably somewhere in between. And, and, uh, and just understanding that these are all voices. The market incorporates all these different voices. And, you know, it, that's how the market, that's why a market exists, right? So, and, and if anything else, it makes for some interesting reading, at least for folks it's like worth, ourselves, right? And it's worth reading in between the number projections, like not just looking at, oh, it looks like everyone's saying 4,500, but looking at, yeah, like you said, what goes into those numbers, um, our guy yeah. who doesn't do project, he doesn't do predictions anymore, Tony Dwyer, um, yeah. he mostly talks about the numbers. What do earnings look like next year? Is the market going to have reason to be a little bit more optimistic and apply a 20 times earnings multiple to that number or more conservative? And, you know, that's something to think about. Like what, what drove the markets this year? Obviously inflation. What's going to drive the markets next year? There probably will be some sort of recession, mild recession, bad recession, who knows? Uh, but those earnings numbers that we so rely on always going up as they have for most of the last decade, um, they might not go up. They might go down. They might be flat or anything like that. So you might that's what's going to affect the markets in 2023. Uh, there's some good things to be to be uh, hopeful for. Um, something like the uh, like China's zero COVID policy coming to an end could potentially be you know? a catalyst to stronger economic growth in the world. Uh, but then potentially, yeah, certain... yeah, and that, but there's pros and cons on that particular item too as well. Or that, well, yeah. you know. Uh, off the cuff sort of un, unofficial news uh, or uh, dissemination information out of China right now, it seems to indicate that there's a lot more than just four deaths to COVID these, right? There are like lineups to, to crematoriums, there's lineups of, of, of uh, uh, to the hospital. And, and so they may be a couple of years later. So I, I know that there's a lot of optimism potentially for like, if China does reopen that all of a sudden they're gonna start consuming again and that the energy price, you know, we're gonna start using energy and prices will go up and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I think there's a lot of caveats still. So, you know, even a simple, or not a simple, but a concept such as that, oh, they're going to have to open up at, at some point. I think, it, you know, even in North, the North America experience has shown that in the last couple of years, reopening has not necessarily been the smoothest process, right? So uh, you can take it for, there's going to be maybe some, it's not It's not going to be a linear line, I guess, is one, one there's, uh, there's certainly some simplistic way of looking at it. Too. Like yeah. you said, pros and cons, I mean, if everything goes great and they're able to reopen everything, what happens then to commodity prices as demand surges for things? Then we get inflation again. Uh, that's not good. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, again, that's something completely unpredictable. My, you know, my thinking of all of this is stop making. Let's stop making predictions. Let's 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 not let predictions. <laughs> yes, right. It is so impossible to predict what these things are doing. Will the markets be strong next year or or weak? You know, let's say we finish this year with a negative twenty percent. What does that mean for next year? History, um, you look at the history in the markets, more times than not, if we have a negative year, it's followed by a stronger than average year. But with that said, uh, let's let's just look at some of the past here. I've got a couple of numbers down here. Uh, like, let's look at the, mm -hmm. the, the bright side. 2008 was a big negative year. 2009, the markets, the S&P 500 was up 26.5%. 2019 or 2018 was a was a slightly negative year as I mentioned earlier, negative 4.4 percent. 2019 we saw 31.5 percent. 2003 followed a couple of bad years, which we'll talk about in a second. And in 2003 the markets were 28.7 percent up. 1991 mm -hmm. uh, markets were negative in 1990. 91 they were up 30 percent. So and and the best ever single year in the history of the of the U.S. markets. 
Uh, this predates the S&P 500, but back in 1933, following some really, really bad years, as you know, 1929, 30, 31, yeah. 32, um, in 1933, the markets were up 54% in one year. So that can happen. Now, the flip side of that is, what if we get something, and this is a real interesting analog, the year 2000, the tech bubble burst. And uh, I mean, I just made this analogy recently on one of my newsletters was um, in, uh, in 2000, we saw, uh, if you watch the Super Bowl in 2000, all these dot-com uh, companies that were that were advertising that stuff, um, that stuff. Yep, classic. And uh, people back then were like, "Oh wow, like you know, these are expensive Super Bowl spots, and these companies don't even make any money, and they're able to afford these." Yep. Well, twenty twenty one. What did we see? Uh, what did we see in the Super Bowl? Crypto ads. ads. Crypto ads predominantly. And what's happened to crypto this year? We haven't even talked mm -hmm. about that yet. But uh, maybe there's a there's a close. It's one of those contrarian calls, right? It's exactly. Yeah. Type calls. Yeah. So two thousand big tech bubble bursting. Um, markets were crappy in 2000. I mean, they, they finished up not as badly. Uh, markets were down negative 9.1%. But then in 2001, you were thinking, okay, maybe the markets will recover. Well, 9-11 yeah. happened, and then markets ended up the year negative 11.9%. And then you go into 20, uh, 2002 thinking, oh, we've had two bad years. Things got to get better now. And then, of course, Enron and Worldcon happen, and there's just more economic issues. And uh, the markets were down 22%, negative 22% in uh, 2002. So maybe that's what we have. In, uh, that's what we have coming up. And we have, to be, we have to always refer investing in the markets. We have to be prepared for that to happen. You cannot invest money in the markets that you need in three years. Uh, you, you have to think of it as money you're not going to touch for 10 years because that can happen. Um, mm -hmm. if you and it does happen. It, it, does, it, it does. It has. I mean, yeah. even in very recent, I say very recent, but you know, maybe for most millennials, 2000s, like before their times, if you had invested your money at the beginning of that time period in 2000, your annualized return to, uh, to let's say for the next 20 years was only 6.1%, well below the long-term average, because you bought in at a high point and you had to wait, mm -hmm. you had to wait a good number of years till you were even positive and the financial crisis happened. And after 20 years, you ended up only being 6.1% annualized return in the markets. But still 6 point whatever percent annualized. That's, that's a good point you know, too, yeah. That's the worst time, right? But you, it's still a, a, a good, a reasonably good return, right? You might've been able to buy a bond with that rate back in 2000, but um, it, 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 does, it shows you one thing. One, it can take a long time to, uh, to see a good return if you're investing mm -hmm. in stocks. And two, um, uh, time in the markets, you know? That those were some really bad years. You had two big bear yep. markets. Half of it Despite was a spike then. Yeah, market. Ten years mm -hmm. of dark lost decade and whatnot, and mm -hmm. six point one percent annualized. That's not bad if you're investing for twenty years. Absolutely, it is difficult. Obviously, um, and the human nature has shown it time and time again that buying when nobody else wants to buy is, is a, it's a very that it's we're not built that way. And you know, we're not people in order to do so, but through on you know uh, experience and 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 uh, discipline, uh, we can make it a habit uh, as opposed to uh, a, a nature thing. And uh, it is not easy to buy when there's blood in the street. But always, when you look back, you know, you in retrospect, in hindsight, you know, the regret would be, oh, I wish I did more. Oh, during the depths of of the uh, uh, the great financial crisis, if only I. 
you know, levered up my house and then bought everything, right? I, I would have done well, right? Or had I only known that in February, March of 2020, I should have, you know, levered up and turned, pulled out my line of credit and, and put it into the market, I would have made uh, a 2x in like a year, right? Sort of idea. It is not easy to do. The, but, you know, if you were to look back and say, if I had the opportunity, would I have done it? And the answer is usually yes. And now the opportunity right now is likely a good opportunity presents itself to all of us right now. It's a matter of, do we answer it the same way, right? Do we go, yes, it's a good time to do it. Keep in mind how we're entering this new year. We're entering with everyone being pessimistic with all these these market gurus predicting a a week 2023. Um, You know, everything should indicate to us that this is one of those times, whether we see a turnaround anytime in the near term or whether this is a year like 2001 was a good year to invest in the markets even though you faced some really crappy markets in 2002 as well you still got really cheap prices and in fact let me uh, let me look at that number uh so yeah like i said if you invested in 2000 if you invested in 2000 for 20 years that's when you started you had 6.1 percent if your starting point was 2001 and you had the same ending point. So now you're investing for 19 years. Uh, the return was 6.9% annually. If you started in 2002, the absolute worst, and you know, that's like, you know, who was thinking about investing still at that point after two really crappy years? Mm-hmm. And now you invested for 18 years. So all these numbers, they end in 2019. Uh, those 18 years, you did 8.1% annually. And of course, if you began your investing in 2003, after the really bad numbers of 2002, so basically January 2003 till the end of 2019, uh, 10.2% annually. That was actually one of the best annualized numbers over the longer period of time, including the great financial crisis. So including in those numbers, 10.2% annually includes the great financial crisis within it. If instead you bought right in the middle of the great financial crisis, you know, then you're looking at 15, 16%. But um, it really pays off to invest during the bad times. I say it again and again. You need to get a soapbox outside uh, in, in sure. Churchill Square and, and just start yelling. <laughs> just uh, just stand on there. Actually, the, talking about that, there is this funny uh, sort of little bit of a marketing campaign done by one of the fund companies. They, uh, I, I get their, their newsletter. It's meant for advisors only. But what they do in their ad campaign is... They uh, they have one of their one of their employees standing on a street corner with a cardboard sign with uh, with a, a message on it, which most of the passerbys it's you know it's over their head because uh, it's something financial related. But one of them I really liked was uh, market volatility is a friend of the investor who knows the value of a business. It's the enemy of an investor who doesn't. That makes you think. Market volatility is a friend of the investor who knows the value of a business. It's the enemy of an investor who doesn't. So with all this talk about volatility, volatility is a great thing. If you are interested in buying a a strong business out there and you want to buy it at a discount, and of course it's your enemy if you're so caught up with the volatility of these business values that it causes you to do something stupid, like sell that great profitable business just because it's prices down. I think those lessons are, 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 you know, they come from a, place of experience and obviously pace of, of, of repeat, uh, repeated truth uh but like most lessons they are best learned when experienced directly and personally 
and and so uh, the ads uh, make sense to those who are willing to listen. Uh, it also now becomes incumbent on all of us to kind of take again this past year and say we're this is a good ex learning experience. This is a good basis point oh, for all of us that we can come back in in a decade and say, oh yeah, 2022 that was a pretty crappy year, but you know what? We came out of it bigger and stronger and wealthier because of it, right? Um, but yeah, we 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 all have to kind of go through it uh, again, <laughs> and and uh, and and then the 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 credence or the recognition is given when you see those ads, right? So, um, yep. yeah, but it, it's they do they do come from somewhere. You just have to have to has to fall on uh, open ears. I, I'm sure we'll expand uh, in early in the new year about, about thoughts, even though we're not going to make predictions. There, there's certainly a number of things happening uh, in in 2023. Uh, the the known uh, knowns and the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns, I guess, right? But of the known knowns. Uh, I know that at least in Alberta, we're going to have a provincial election in the spring and, and come January and, and certainly into March and April, there's going to be a, a whole lot of uh, potential policies and platforms that will have a direct impact to, uh, to taxpayers within Alberta and, and, and actually most likely uh, uh, impact uh, across uh, to other uh, citizens uh, across the country. So we'll wait and see what ends up with that happening. I do know that... Um, we, you know, announced by the federal government that, you know, they, they seem to like the, the acronym TFSA a lot. And so they just put a few more letters into it. And then now we have the TFFHSA. It's a big mouthful, but the tax-free first home savings account. And all of us uh, within, you know, in the advisory world and also clients who are looking to potentially buy a home for the first time are going to have to become acquainted when the details finally come out and the pros and cons of that type of account versus uh, an RSP or a TFSA, because it really is sort of a hybrid of, of all of that. So again, I'm sure we'll have a whole episode talking about that when do, details do come up, but that's Sorry, something yeah. that I, I, I recognize because I do know, I, I certainly have clients that have had conversations about home purchases or, or future home purchases. Um, and, and a vehicle like this is sort of catered for or directed for people like that. Like the, actually the latest thing I heard about it is they've now changed it so that you could potentially use both the TFFHSA as well as a home buyer plan withdrawal together to purchase a home. Whereas originally when yeah. they announced it, uh, you, you could now I'm, I think it's best to just wait till the thing is actually out. Of course. That's right. Because they're going to change these so things. Again. We know so, it's coming. Yeah. We know it's coming. It's pull out the rug from under us and change it again. Maybe change it back. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing is with another acronym, um, I know provincially it was talked about that they were thinking about potentially bringing out uh, an HSA or, uh, or, or a health spending account. A, a lot of people who are employed uh, by uh, companies may have that as part of their overall uh, benefits package. Uh, I know in the United States, they have a slightly different version of, a, of an HSA, a health savings account. And that almost acts like an RRSP where it's not deductible where it's a, a tax sheltered and it's not being, you know, it's almost like a tax break, but it's geared only for health concerns uh, and, you know, not for retirement. So there may be some variation of something like that coming down the road, particularly within Alberta. Uh, so that's something else to think about as well. Uh, and then, you know, one thing that I also wanted to just kind of bring up, it's, it's a recent piece of news, uh, but because it sort of touches upon, you know, the old sandbox that I used to live and work in is that uh, in 2023, there's actually going to be the, uh, the first oil, oil sand specific uh, IPO of a company. And we haven't had something like that happen uh, in over a decade. 
And, and so that, you know, again, we'll talk about that in the future, but it was just a piece of news to think that, you know what, that's an interesting sentiment indicator that, you know, obviously oil sands has its detractors and its proponents, but there is a company coming out at a fairly high valuation. Uh, and it's not necessarily going to be traded in the United States, uh, in Canada, it's actually going to be in the United States, but it's a Canadian asset. So there's a lot of things to, to consider, but uh, it just, that recent piece of news that came out uh, just a week ago or last week uh, made me think about, oh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's still going to be happening in the new year. Uh, and it's an interesting sentiment indicator that, uh, you know, I'll probably want to touch upon in the future. But just a, a few things that uh, come to my mind. I don't know if there's anything else I'll offer you at yeah, this moment. There's a lot. I mean, it's going to be an interesting year. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Even that, even that provincial election, that, that could be really up in the air. It's going to be the first time we're going to be going into an election well, 2015 was very, very unpredictable how that panned out. But, you know, the last election, it was pretty clear who was going to win that one. But this time, you know, it's it's an interesting one. It could go either way. And um, that could mean some significant changes in policies in Alberta, too. I know that health spending accounts are not very popular with the opposition. Maybe even yep. a federal yep. election next year. Who knows, right? And again, these are, you know, and those, those risks can drop pretty quickly. Uh, yep. But we know that there's going to be uh, policy impacts, not just from the central banks and, and, and from a fiscal perspective or monetary perspective, but even on the fiscal perspective as well. So, it, it, you know, it, it's certainly going to touch upon on the on the personal finance and the financial planning uh, aspects of, of our work uh, and maybe not directly on the on the investment side. But what's on your wish? What's on your wish list before we, we were done? Uh, what's on your wish list for 20 for Chris from Santa? Well, for 2023 is a... As a or, for or for 2022, <laughs> in three, maybe three days from now. Oh, what's I, what's, what would you like Santa to bring you? Oh, I've got, uh, I've already got Santa bringing me some Hawaiian shirts for my trip to Belize. Um, okay. <laughs> Belizean shirts? There's no Belize. Yeah. There's, no, I don't know. I was going to, I was going to answer your question. I thought you were asking, what do you want Santa to bring for 2023? And I want to see 2% inflation. Um, I want to see uh, interest rates come down a bit, but still be reasonably decent so that I can still do some nice GIC ladders for my retired clients. Um, and I want to see uh, at least 30% of the markets and um, oil prices. I think oil prices should stay where they are right now because it's perfect gas price uh, in Sherwood Park. Here's a buck 10 a liter. I'm fine with that. And uh, and the, the province of Alberta is still making money on on oil and gas, so uh, that's that's great. So so uh, you want it all, huh? Want it all, yeah. <laughs> you want it all for everyone, right? Yep. Yep. How about yourself, Justin? Oh, um, tough to say. I I, I think that uh, if we have uh, just. I mean, you know, I was going to throw in like world peace uh, somewhat facetiously, <laughs> but it, truly, uh, you know, you see thing, what happens. Yeah. Of course, and we didn't even touch upon that, and that was a major, obviously a major factor yep. for 2022. Uh, but those those impacts are going to be continuing happening in 2023 as well. So, um, well, if, if anything, no, not for long either. Yeah, so we'll wait and see. We shall wait and see. But uh, on a, on a, on a, I've, I've got my list of uh, books that I would like to uh, read, but uh, I found that even when I went away and took some time off last week or the week before. I, I didn't even touch it. So I've got a lot of reading that I need to do uh, over the next week and a half to catch up with. So I better not ask for more reading material. <laughs> Ditto here. Uh, yeah, that's something I've, I've really been trying to catch up on this year. I've got two books I'm hoping to read over the, over the next couple of days off. Uh, one is 
uh, Daniel Kahneman's uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, which is yes, old. classic. And then I just recently purchased, already started reading a few chapters into it, the uh, sixth edition of Stocks for the Long Run from Jeremy Siegel. So already reading a couple of chapters into that, it's it's been uh, it's got some some nice insights with some up to date uh, numbers for the last uh, you know post COVID area era. Okay, Excellent. shall we call that a show now? I think we've been gone uh, we've gone for about an hour. Yeah, I hope that uh, everyone enjoys and has a relaxing holiday season, and uh, we're all rested and and ready to go for uh, yet another exciting new year to come. And I'll be uh, a little bit less politically correct and say Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>Any views discussed in this podcast are those of the presenters or any guests and not necessarily those of Canaccord Genuity Corp. Statements expressed herein are not intended to provide tax, legal, or financial advice and under no circumstances should be construed as a solicitation to act as a securities broker or dealer in any jurisdiction. All views expressed are intended for general circulation only and do not have any regard to the specific investment objectives, financial circumstances, or general need of any individual organization or institution. Investing in equities is not guaranteed, values change frequently, and past performance is not an indicator of future performance. Investors cannot invest directly in an index. Index returns do not reflect fees, expenses, or sales charges. Please do not hesitate to contact us should you want to know more about anything discussed in this podcast. CG Wealth Management is a division of Canaccord Genuity Corp., member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investor Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.